Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I was a bouncing and laughing as a road down an old Hi there, road. I'm Glenn Savile, and you're listening to the Always Race Day Podcast. All right, what's up, guys? It's an emergency episode of the Always Race Day podcast uh, presented, as always, by the Carl Auto Group. We really appreciate their partnership uh, and everything that they bring with us. They allow us to do what we do here. I'm Connor Ferguson. I brought Glenn Savile on uh, to talk about the World of Outlaws penalty given to James McFadden uh, and Roth Motorsports today. And Glenn is a guy that is always worried he's going to say something wrong, even though no one's accused him of being offensive in 14 years uh from my calculations but glenn how are you doing tonight yeah pretty good man just uh glenn's in his engine shop i'm wearing your shirt right now i don't know if you noticed oh. that. so that's what i'm saying we no, need like a bright blue and we'll get like a boxing kangaroo on the front of it stomping yeah. on the american eagle that's what I, we gotta yeah, well, dream up the idea and make it happen <laughs> well you, i gotta get some results first before those will sell i don't know i don't think so i think i think you could do it anytime you wanted no, when you when y'all hear the uh, joey gase interview on sunday uh you'll know why why i said that mm-hmm. uh, fantastic stuff coming uh this weekend uh from the always race day guys but uh basically from the world of outlaws today uh they issued a suspension and a fine to james mcfadden in roth motorsports for a failed tire test uh, from the new tire samples that were taken uh, last weekend at Peevely. Um, basically, the penalty is an $8,200 fine, uh, along with a four-way suspension um, for driver, owner, and all crew members, as well as a 500-point owner and driver penalty. Um, so pretty hefty stuff. Now, they are appealing the decision, so there's not they'll be allowed to race until the appeal is figured out completely. Uh, so you'll still probably see him Friday night, uh, especially if, or tonight if you're listening to this on Friday. But 
very hefty fines combined with the new tire rules. And I, Glenn is much more knowledgeable to this stuff. So you, you were kind of saying that the new tires, everyone's doing stuff to them, obviously, and I'm not doing stuff, doing illegal things to them, but figuring out how to prep these things uh, and how they react to different ways they're prepped. And that's probably what spurred this penalty, right? Well, it, there's a good possibility. Um, you know, I know traditionally, you know, most guys like to clean their tires and they, they groove them and type them and, and, you know, some guys like to put a bit of simple green on them or, or, or different things. I'm you know, not, a, not accusing anybody of doing anything, but. Right. Uh, I, did, I Yeah. This whole podcast, yeah. if we say something that it's, sounds pointed, I don't think either of us are pointing at anybody. I think we're, we're just yeah, talking about it, potential things. Yeah, just potential things. But, you know, it, it could be something as simple as, uh, you know, different processes that you did to your, your tires, the previous type tire that we had they just, it doesn't react with the rubber or, or the rubber reacts different or, um, you know, or, you know, the benchmarks could be a little different. The tires could be a little different and, and the benchmarks of, you know, the parameters of the benchmarks aren't, uh, when you say, when you say benchmarks, like when you say benchmarks, like what type of, what, what are you kind of talking well, about on, the, on that label there? So, so who's your tire obviously is a contract tire. They, they supply, a set of specifications to what the, the tire is supposed to come out as, um, you know, you, when that tire is finished the end of the race, it could, it could, uh, it's supposed to conform to this, you know, the, this set of specifications, basically. As far as like um, air pressure size and stuff like that. Well, no, no, no. Like rubber compound when they, when they're going to okay. test tires and stuff like that, it's supposed to be, um, you know, the, the tire, if, if the chemical compounds are this, this, and this, the tire should measure this, this, and this, um, and that kind of thing as a, as a specification, you know, from a, from a, from a, a chemical point of view is essentially what they're doing when they check these tires. Um, and if the, you know, like the, the tire testing, it's a, it's a good idea in a sense, but at the same time, um, you know, if, if, if their benchmarks are a little off or something's, you know, parameters aren't quite what they need to be, or, you know, something just needs to be looked at or something like that. Um, you know, you, you could quite honestly be disqualifying someone for, for something that's not necessarily, you know, anyone's fault. It's just the, you know, it's just the way things are with the new tire. So, um, so I don't know how often they've checked these tires so far, but if this is, you know, if they're busting guys on the first night that they've ever checked them, then, you know, hang on a second. There, there could be a few things that need to be looked at here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is So is this – so that was the first night they checked the tires? I don't know. Um, okay. Um, I haven't heard that side of it, but, but, but if it is, you know, and they, they've already busting guys for something that's not right, well, yeah, and it, I don't know, they need to look at it. But so the new tires took over. I've known James for long, like, yeah, they they've started running on these new tires what a month ago, something like yeah, that. Yeah, so they've only had them for they haven't had them for that long, and um, you know, obviously the the drivers are, are or the the crews more than anything. It's not. I'm not gonna say it's the drivers' fault at all. You know, a lot of the drivers on the outboard tour don't necessarily have anything to do with that that specification or that, you know, that part of the car, they, their job is to drive and that's what they do. They have a, you know, a special tire guy and he obviously, you know, confers with the crew chief before the, um, before anything's done. But, uh, 
yeah, if, if something's, you know, something's not right or whatever, I guess the world of outlaws will look into it. They'll, so, you know, they'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So when you say the the tire compound at the end of the race, is that when they are taking them to these labs and they're testing if the rubber has been affected by chemicals? Is that kind of the... Yeah, yeah. essentially what happens is is you, you pull up at the end of the race and you take a tire groover and you, you groove a sample off the you know, out of the, the block and, and they get sent away. So, um, you know, in saying that, heck, all you've got to do is drive through a puddle of oil and that could alter your tire spe- specification as well. So that's, and that's the um, interesting part of this, uh, with the appeal process and, and having James, uh, remain in the series and everything and, and still racing, uh, to keep the integrity of that in case it comes back differently, but you have to assume with these, uh, new tires that you know we might have a couple of these this year and it's becoming the year of of penalties especially in nascar um and you know scary accidents and i hate that that's what this i mean we're almost four months complete in the season and i think we've talked more about those two subjects uh than anything on the racetrack and that that's that part sucks yeah yeah definitely it's it's not a good good aspect of the sport now it's not something we really want to want to be too proud of, but, uh, I, you know, I think there's, there's a few little things that have got to be looked at that aspect and, um, need to be revisited basically. So, yeah. so every, everyone listening at home, uh, Glenn and I are both a few bush lights deep, uh, and Glenn is hearing <laughs> my voice on a delay. Uh, I can see through the video, which is all, all fine and dandy and Glenn, no comment this if you want. Um, but, Roth Motorsports and Dennis Roth. The narrative behind them is similar to Chip Ganassi's narrative is Chip Chip likes winners. And you mm-hmm. race Chip, Chip Ganassi and you you go out and win races. Uh, Dennis Roth's narrative is uh, win at all costs. Uh, and we have seen uh, Dennis Roth, uh, a driver from Roth Motorsports, uh, and everyone knows who it is, but, uh, Aaron Reitzel a couple years ago with the chassis situation got suspended for the Knoxville nationals. Uh, and Casey Kane ended up, I think driving that car, I believe that season, um, another Roth penalty from the world of allies. Do you read anything into penalizing Roth motorsports again? And do you read any, I guess, what is your experience with Dennis Roth? Because I, I mean, I've talked to him once, I think, but you know, the win at all costs thing has come up so much in the past two, three seasons between Aaron and James's tenure in that car. Um, and I don't want to say it's alarming or anything, but it, it does seem, I, I am peculiar to kind um, of what that means. I, I guess I really don't have anything to say on it. James has always been a winner in sprint cars right. from the day he started. Um, you know, he, uh, he's always been in good equipment. He's always been up the front. He's always, always had a, um, he's, he's kept a pretty good track record. You know, even, even what the Americans don't know about him, even in Australia, he's, he's, he's done a good job as a driver. So, you know, I, I think Dennis has got the right idea with, with putting him in the car, the whole win it, win at all costs thing. Um, yeah. My I question, my question to that is that, is that overplayed at all? Because that's all you hear about it's, Dennis. It's, you don't hear Dennis. You don't hear Dennis likes playing the guitar. You don't hear uh, Dennis is, is a big wine guy. You don't hear anything about Dennis Roth besides he says win at all costs. 
it, it it's definitely it, it's definitely overplayed to the to the extent that um uh you know to the extent that they'd be, knows, that they'd be trying every, to bend every rule in the book every week yeah every every car owner knows that you're not going to uh to win every single night of the week that's just the way it is but um i think i think dennis knows that you know i i i've never met dennis personally but i you know i I was I crewed on a World of Outlaw team a long time ago and all that and and that was the driver that particular year who's now retired but he man he tore up some equipment they ran out of cars and wings and motors and everything and when he you're saying that guy drove for Dennis yeah yeah and uh, when he did finally get in victory lane I think he I think it was a dash I think it was a dash or something oh, it might have been the feature I can't remember but we all. I remember hearing him say on the, over the microphone, "Yeah, thank God now the car owner will get off my ass." But, <laughs> but uh, he, um, I, 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 I think people give him a bad rap for that. He, it sounds like he Dennis. Definitely, he definitely leaves a driver with no excuses not to win. But it sounds like that, it sounds like he expects a driver to win regularly, and he's a team yeah. that kind of built itself and and has been around. But their main. You know they have another business, but their big thing—they—they're a homegrown sprint car team, mm -hmm. and yeah, especially but, if you're going to get outraced by Shark Racing, you know that's going to up the ante a little bit. But it sounds like he's just a normal owner, and he's expecting a solid driver to get solid results. Well, as a car owner, if you spend the money that he spent to put things in place to have the potential to win every night. You know, he knows you're not going to win every night, but if you've if you've got everything in place to that you know um, that will allow a driver to go out and do the best he can, he expects the driver to do the best he can. And, Absolutely. And that that's there's a lot of that. You know, now if a driver consistently consistently you know tears up equipment, you know can't run can't run top five, you know consistently, you know. Um, I think the biggest upset we ever talk about. Bad, the biggest they thing we never talk about is how Brad Sweet won the World of Outlast Championship on five wins. Yeah. Well, not, no one's been close to doing that, you know? Yeah, not for a long time. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I guess it's just one of those things that um, he expects the best of his driver because he's given them the best opportunity. That's all there is to it. Now, if you've got a, you know, a road crew guy in there, I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with who's on James's car this year at all, but if you've got a crew guy in there, that's got an idea and, and doesn't sort of tell anybody about it, you know, and something happens to a tire or, or something, or they're trying something or, you know, these tires react different. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to insinuate that anybody, you know, it's only cheating if you get caught. And, and so I guess, uh, you know, if they were doing something to the tires last year and these tires react different to the same process, well, you know, you're going to get caught, I guess. But at the same yeah, time, like I said, absolutely. I'm not insinuating anything. But, but at the same time, if uh, if these tires are different and you're still doing the same things as last year, that might be a might be something that needs needs to be looked at. And, I, and it's it's quite possibly just a, um, yeah, it, it it puts puts everyone on notice essentially. So yeah, yeah. And like you said, I mean, if you can. So to me, and tell me, tell, call me stupid for this because I really don't want to have this opinion, but you, you've pushed me toward it. The, to me, if, <laughs> if you can drive through a puddle of oil and change the compound of your tire to where it's going to come back in a test lab and be considered illegal, why the hell are we doing it? 
how can we make that process better? Because to me, if you just have a puddle of oil on the ground on accident, well, that, that can, or is that not, is that so uncommon that that's not like, I, I'm, maybe I sound crazy right now, but if that's not uncommon, you know. Well, and, the, and that's the thing. I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure because it's been that long since I've watched them do a tire test. I can't remember what the exact process is. Have you been in these labs? I've never been in a lab. No, oh, okay. I, I want to get into one of these labs and see what they do. Oh, you can go into them. Yeah, they're just, they're just, <laughs> I don't know where they're at. Like oh, you might be um, in China for all we know. No, no, no. Uh, I can't remember the name of the place. It's, I think it's, I've seen it listed somewhere on the interweb. Yeah. It's so gotta be, in, it's gotta be in North Carolina, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I can't, I can't read. It's in that area somewhere, somewhere in NASCAR land. At least we've confirmed it exists. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't <laughs> exist. But, you know, like, like last year, the, the same thing happened with, with USAC and the world of outlaws, you know, yeah. the, the, the world of outlaws said, no, your tires are illegal. The USAC guys said, no, they're not. Well, that was, you know, send your tires to two different labs. That's they're going to get different results. So, yeah, um, and I'll, I'll throw a little nugget in for the people that listen to this uh, podcast so that they know you can get some premium info, I guess, uh, listening to the ARD <laughs> podcast. But last year when Cannon McIntosh got his tire test uh, deemed illegal, um, I was asking guys who have drove midgets, uh, like what goes into tire tests? What are your opinion on them? You know, what, what should we do about them? I was getting a couple guys. Uh, there's an interview with Mitchell Moulds That was really good. I remember uh, it was when we were at Houston. So look for June, 2022 on the YouTube. Uh, but I asked buddy Kofoid, uh, to do an interview about it. And when he asked what it was about and I told him, he goes, Oh no, I'm not even touching that. No way, Connor. And just mad respect from a young guy to, you know, I don't want to touch that sticky situation uh, cause of where I'm at as a driver. Um, mm -hmm. you know, whatever you might say, Glenn, I, I yeah. promise no one will come after your reputation. I got you. Oh, I I'll I defend you. I'm going to say we're scraping at the bottom of the barrel when I'm considered <laughs> the expert. <laughs> Um, no, look, I, I think the tire testing is a good thing. Um, it, it's, it, all it does though, is keep the honest guys honest. The guys that are going to cheat, they're still going to cheat. It's just the way it is. Um, like I said before, it's only cheating if you get caught. Um, <laughs> you know, the, like the other thing is too, you know, you got to look at it from a different point of view. Okay. You, you're a, a low buck guy that goes and gets throw off tires like second hand tires from from teams that have got a couple of nights on or a night or two or whatever if the team that they've bought them off has treated them who's at fault the guy that's taken the peel offs that that runs well or, or right. the, you know the, the team that did actually treat them so there's there's other issues that it sort of creates i suppose but um at the end of the day it's good and consistent like consistency is what the sport needs i suppose so if they do it they stand up stand by it and they back up their they back up the claim and everybody just goes and buys new tires, then yeah, it is what it is. You can't, you can't argue with them. They got to, the end of the day, you know, he who's got the, got the gold rules and unfortunately the world of outlaws got the gold. So it does. And obviously it, this doesn't happen a ton. You know, they're not, these teams are smarter than to have a spray bottle of chemicals and spray them openly 
in the pits where anyone can go with a pit pass, right? Like any media member oh, could see be, someone spraying just, chemicals on a tire. You'd be surprised. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, fair. <laughs> Next time we walk the pits together, when you're when you're on always race day full time, we'll walk the pits together and you can just point stuff out to me and we'll go right up. Yeah. 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 Smell that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's obviously not happening between every team every week because if it were and that situation occurred you know paul silva would have gotten dunked on for illegal tires yeah. a couple of times yep yeah but like i said you know it, it's it, it might it, it might just be a simple case of what we were doing last year doesn't work this year and and you know i, I remember with the usac deal they the big claim was, oh, we're using simple green or mean green or something like that, or super clean or something like that on our tires, and and it's it's soaked through. Well, these tires might just react a little bit different. There might be something a little bit different in the rubber that reacts. It changes some sort of compound somehow. That it is what it is. You can't change it. It's you know, okay, we can't do that anymore. We're busted. So, yeah. Or if we do, we run it. We got. We can only run fourth. Yeah, so, uh, it's yeah. it's it's tricky just because there's so many things that it could be, and mm -hmm. you you can hear in the world of outlaws did not post in the statement what specifically was up with the tire. I I found that mm -hmm. kind of kind of different from what USAC officials posted uh, when they yeah. had their uh, penalty. But the appeals yep. process has not happened yet, so I think we need to wait for that and the other thing was and why i was texting glenn tonight was i asked him if he had james mcfadden's phone number uh to see what james had to say and but anything that they say is just not your hookup connor yeah no they're gonna they're just gonna reply and be like we were just doing normal stuff to our tires i don't know why i don't know why it would come back like that we've been using the same stuff for five years and no one's ever said a thing and that mm -hmm. you know plausible deniability right like yep i think it's just yeah. It's tough. Um, it's tough on the heels of that Aaron Reitzel penalty, and I know it was two years ago, but that's what everyone is bringing up today. Is like, here's Roth cheating again. I think it's completely unfair to say that See, even, at the same even time. That, even that frame deal at the time, like, a, like goes back to what I said a moment ago. Yeah, that was a, that was a legal chassis at one time. It was at one point. Yeah, but, you know, if, if you've got a road crew guy that that decides that, hang on, we need to. You know, when when the pressure's on, we we need to start getting some results. You know, you've got a road crew guy that's that's going to run the gauntlet on whether we get checked or not. Um, but no, but that one I don't think was really a road crew guy. I think that was the whole team's decision from the interviews I watched and uh, their argument on it. Just to give some more background on what that penalty was, was that this this chassis has been legal and it it is our fastest chassis, so we're going to use it and we're just going to hope they don't notice. Uh, because for whatever reason, it yeah. had been deemed illegal. And I think it was uh, how thick some of the tubing was on the chassis. Uh, and it needed, yeah, or right. how thin it was. Sorry, I said that, I said that wrong. It, was, yeah. it needed, it needed more, to be thicker. Yep. Yeah. And, and it, it, that's a whole safety thing. And to go back to what we've been talking about all year is safety and penalties. And it, it all mm -hmm. wraps into one with this story tonight. And yeah, I, I thought it was important to get you on, especially. And I appreciate you taking the time. Um, yep. but it's, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's a very complex, you know, onion layered story going oh. on right now. 
Yeah, definitely. There's, there's. I'm sure there's going to be more to it, but you know, as, as a character reference to James, he's James has worked like people don't realize about James. Like he's had a lot of good opportunities that he's been able to take advantage of and and get the results over the years. But cheating, I that wouldn't be the first first thing that comes to mind when you talk to James. He races hard. He he's a he's a good good racer you know a good ambassador for the sport so if there's something going on I, I definitely don't think it's him i think it's it's something that um that the team has you know if they've knowingly done it then hey rightfully so they they deserve to be penalized well, this, but this... if it's you know if it's something that they, that they haven't done or it's just like i said it's something that's carried on they've, they've always done it never been caught well you know maybe it is what it is and and uh it's we're making mountains out of molehills yeah, I mean, what you said about the road crew, I think, makes a lot more sense with you knowing James. Glenn's an Australian native, uh, builds engines, has ran sprint cars uh, for a long time. I've watched him wheel a few times uh, between Knoxville and, and Oski, and the dude's mad impressive and even funnier when he gets a few beers in you. So uh, I did a bad job introducing you, my bad. But that that makes a lot more sense uh, as to why you would think it was a road crew guy uh, and that was the situation at hand here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's one of those things in the sport that, you know, you kind of just got to let, let time tell what it is. And I'm sure we'll know in a couple of weeks or a couple of months when, when everyone's back to back to race and everything's back to normal and, and all that, you know, um, do you think that'll be, do you think that'll be after James McFadden serves a four race suspension or not? Uh, What's your I prediction? That, um, I'm sorry. I didn't tell Glenn I would ask for a prediction on it. A prediction on <laughs> and it. I don't, I don't want to give mine. So that's, it's all you. <laughs> you got it. You're, well, you're I, I guess, I guess I, I, I don't know. I, I, I suppose it, it depends on whether they want to make an example of it. You know, it is it is definitely a good way to get someone off the tour if they didn't like you on the tour. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to insinuate that that's happened before, but you know. Hang I'm on sorry, I've been on I've been on mute. I opened another yeah. beer, so I I muted the microphone. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah. <laughs> so, so my theory on how the four race deal with the outlaws kind of came to fruition and everything, because it seems kind of weird. It seems kind of uh, unnormal, you know, like mm -hmm. what series would be like, yeah, you can run four races, but not five. Right. Yeah. My theory is that they kind of crunched the numbers and said like, all right, well, they're going to have an 11 race high limit season championship. And mm -hmm. if all 12 of my world of allies guys go to every race that's midweek and kind of put around world of allies races, mm -hmm. if there's 56 cars showing up, even with that restriction, this would be the top sprint car series in America. And it would take, the top sprint car series in the country from the world of outlaws that races every week, Friday and Saturday, and is kick-ass and every race matters. Every race matters the same amount, uh, aside from the non-point Knoxville nationals, obviously. Um, and that, you know, the prestige is never going to be taken away from the Knoxville nationals, but mm -hmm. you take the whole season and it's like, okay, well we can watch 87 races or we can watch the best, of the best run 11 times out of the year. And, 
all 11 races matter so much more because there's only 11 of them and that that makes it bigger and better because it'd be like an all-star sort of series not all-star circuit of champions which i still Mm -hmm. have gripes with them being named the all-stars but the high limit tour without that without that agreement the world of outlaws reached this year the high limit tour would be the all-star series and Mm -hmm. you have kyle larson running full-time and all the world of outlaws guys running full-time and no there would be no attention uh that wasn't taken away from the world of outlaws if that was the situation so that that makes more sense to me as to why that got to that number and also i you know i don't think they would want james mcfadden to get off the tour and go run that series so there's got to be something here that tipped the scales to where they have to say like yeah uh this came back so far on this side of the line that we, we have to penalize you conspiracy theories abound man who knows yeah no i put my tinfoil hat on for that that's one i came up with this week and i I don't know how many how many nights have the outlaws done though since they started on these new tires the first night was it it lincoln yeah it was in it was the first weekend in march so let me look up their schedule and see if they've only done about four nights on them oh they've done more than that eight or ten i think so okay let me hold on Gotta go to 2023. I'm thinking of between rainouts and other bits and pieces. Because Rico won the first race on the new tires, and he didn't know that they had new tires. Yeah. Yep. You you saw that interview, right? I was I was. I, I didn't see it, but a, a friend of mine. Knows I was laughing my ass off him. because because he was like, "Yeah, I thought everyone was just pulling my leg." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, he won on it. Yep. So. The race after that, oh, that's Lima. Okay, so we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Suck on that, haters. I counted perfectly. Eight. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. That's that's a half half a night's race right there for four nights to, to give you a total of four. <laughs> right. <laughs> so if, you, if you're racing, you're only running the B main. That's kind of how the tires behave there, right? Yeah, that's right. There you go. <laughs> Uh, no, I I don't know. I I think it's look if if it creates some consistency among the sport and 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 sort of um, you know it gets everybody back to to even keel. Um, yeah, it's it's a good thing, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, like so, you're basically saying um, if it wasn't there, it, it would turn into. Uh, a series with uh what gosh what, what do australians call the uh, the drop bears it would turn into a series of drop bears right a series of drop bears what you've heard the you've heard the term drop bear right yeah they yeah, drop they, from they, the tree yeah you, that's like an australian you gotta got got eat vegemite to to get rid of them yeah i'm, I'm allergic, not doing that i've heard the only thing i've ever heard of vegemite is that it's gross uh, I, not okay. really. We'll do a, we'll do a video. I'll eat some with you. What's it taste like? Uh, oh, it's pure bliss, absolute heaven. It's bliss. Heaven a, yeah, heaven on a heaven on a sandwich. Heaven between two slices of bread. None of these are flavors. <laughs> You're saying it tastes um, like queso? Tastes like nacho? No, 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 no. It it, t- it it's very salty. Oh, I, I would probably it's, like it then. It's, it's the byproduct of brewer's yeast. The biggest problem Amer- Americans have with it is they put it on like three quarters of an inch thick and you're supposed to just have it thin. That's why Americans don't give it such a bad rap. That'd be like they butter on the side of toast, yeah? 
yeah, they try and put it on like peanut butter. Well, peanut butter doesn't matter how thick you have it. It, it just tastes the same. Vegemite, the thicker you have it, the stronger it tastes. And that's <laughs> why people don't like it. <laughs> but I don't know. It puts air on your chest. It's good for you. Uh, well, this has been great. Uh, I got to get back to watching the NFL draft. It's been like 20, 30 minutes. So we've probably gone through three whole picks now. They drag this thing out, man. Uh, the NFL draft? Yeah, I got I got to make sure that Iowa State guy, if he gets picked, oh, I've got to be you got to be on alert. That's the helmet football stuff, right? Yeah, yeah the yeah, helmet yeah, football helmet. stuff. Yeah, and they, yeah. they have this TV show where they just talk and talk and talk, and every pick that they're going to put on the TV has been tweeted out before they can, like minutes oh, before, before they, they can put it. on the TV. Yeah, if you're even oh. just casually scrolling on Twitter, you know what the next pick is going to be. Oh, and and here you are talking about race cars when you should be do, giving uh, giving exclusive interviews. Oh no, we're we're early in the first exclusive, round. It's all good. Exclusive tweets. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the one putting that stuff out. I'm not that big. Oh, even, if I, even if I was, I'd I'd want to be down with the world of outlaws, with the NFL of dirt racing, and not with the actual NFL. So that's different different bridge. <laughs> Fair enough. We won't cross it then. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. Well, thank you, Glenn, for uh, joining me. I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, little emergency podcast and uh, have a good rest of your weekend. We'll be back on Sunday. Joey Gase is on. I'm telling you, uh, if at any point in the interview you're like, this is boring and this is dry, keep listening. There is uh, one answer specifically to a question that lasts three minutes and it's fucking bliss, as Glenn would say about Vegemite. So appreciate you all. Enjoy your race weekend. We will see you on Sunday night.
What's up, guys? We now welcome on a very special guest, a full-time 410 wing sprint car racer out of Plainfield, Indiana, uh, in Zach Hampton. Um, and definitely an interview uh, I was very interested in doing as soon as my buddy uh, Dawson sent me uh, the tweet you read. But, uh, Zach, thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, so... Uh, the tweet, the tweet I was sent that prompted this interview, uh, you said, if anyone with a racing related podcast needs a filler, send me a DM. I'm pretty inactive and relaxed on social media. I'm probably one of the most controversial and misunderstood sprint car drivers in the country and would love to chat about it. So my first question is like, what's your most controversial take that you could just throw out there and we'll make it the headline. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I guess, uh, to make it a headline, um, Shoot, I don't know how to how to headline it, but uh, like you don't have I to come up with the headline. We'll, we'll recap that for you. People don't realize uh, like just how tough it is out here, especially not being you know a say a super team, you know, a team with fifty uh, three foot featherlight, you know, and three or four full time guys, and you know, like um, plenty of motors, plenty of everything. You know, guys don't don't realize how tough it is, so. Uh, and in an age where it's very cool to have, you know, a fake Twitter accounts or, or just, you know, not even a fake Twitter account, just, you know, people being an asshole. I think a lot of drivers, uh, just get, you know, shit on because they're not Donnie shots, you know, and, uh, you know, Donnie shots was not Donnie shots 25 years ago. Uh, so I guess that's, that's kind of my biggest thing. I was just, you know, one night kind of over it, uh, reading, you know, just shit tweets or whatever, um, that they were not accurate or true or you know just people trying to be assholes so um and i know that there's a lot of other drivers you know like me out there that that get crap or just feel that way you know and you know we're all trying to uh to make it you know so so take us you know you, you mentioned that it's it's not easy for guys like yourself you know you don't have the the full-time guys you don't have the the big rigs the big sponsorship take us through a day in the life of, of zach hampton on the racetrack what what is it and, and kind of take us through the that side that you're living uh to to give us a perspective from that side of it yeah so i mean i, I definitely am fortunate enough that you know like i I don't have the smallest trailer, you know, out there and, and I get to travel and I do have really nice motors and, you know, I have nice stuff. Um, I would say that I have a professional team, just not at the, I just don't, I have less of what all those other guys have. So, um, right now I currently don't have any full-time guys. Um, last year I did, I had one full-time guy, a crew chief, um, you know, that was it. So I think what most people don't understand that, um, a lot of these, you know, let's not even say Brad sweet or Donnie shots, you know, like the, the professionals, professionals, you know, like, let's go, you know, and I'm not picking on anybody here. Um, you know, but kids, you know, younger or my age or even younger, you know, you've got, you know, Ryan Thames or, um, you know, uh, Corey day, even geo. Yeah. Corey day, you know, like you've got these kids who, um, are incredible race car drivers, definitely better than me. Um, but they have nothing to worry about, but getting in the car and driving. And that's fine. You know, like I'm, I'm not hating on that by any means, you know, like as a race car driver, that's how it should be. Um, you know, but we don't all start there. You know, everyone there's, there's 90% of us are trying to get to that point. So when, you know, you give, you know, a guy like me shit, because I, whatever I messed up and I wrecked one night or 
it wasn't even my fault. And, you know, I got in a jingle, you know, like people want to crap on me, but in the day of my life, I, you know, I didn't sleep until noon, one o'clock, you know, like I had to get up and I had to do my own tire work. Um, you know, I had to help maintenance the bars. I was up till 3 a.m. at the car wash, you know, and, and some of these other guys don't have to do that. And most people don't understand that any of us have to do that, you know, from a fan's perspective, looking in, they just, you know, like they think, you know, all this stuff, the race car helps get all this ready. And we just show up and, you know, race for four hours, you know, like we have another five or six, four or five, six hours worth of work after we leave the track to wash, to drive to the next place, to get a hotel, you know, like, and, uh, and then we got to be up at nine, 10, 11 in the morning, you know, off six hours of sleep and try to do it all again. Um, and some of the lesser drivers or the drivers that aren't, you know, on a super team with three or four full-time guys, uh, they don't get to sleep till, you know, noon or one. And I, I w- sometimes I do get to, and it's nice to because, you know, it's not that they're lazy, but like, if you worked a nine to five job, you would get up at 7 a.m. and work. So when you're a race car driver and you don't, you don't work till 6 p.m., why would you get up at 9 a.m.? You know, like it just, you're already exhausted by the time you go out on the racetrack and everyone else, you know, at, at, with a team like mine or, you know, especially guys who have full-time jobs outside of racing that are trying to race, that's, that's what they have to deal with. So like mentally, they're not even 100% or as 100% as all these other guys. Yeah, I I love your answer. I mean, talk about brutally honest and, you know, knowing your role. Um, The story I wanted to tell, and I hit the recording right when we got on just so I could keep it authentic. Um, So I was on the, in the pits at Knoxville, um, would have been three, four years ago, maybe. Uh, But I was kind of learning the ropes at at what dirt racing is and uh, getting into what everything is. I'm I'm much more well-versed in, the sport of dirt racing than I was at that time. Uh, and the person that said this, I don't even associate myself with them anymore. Not, not close with them or anything like that. I won't mention names, uh, but you had gone out in hot laps or something. He had told me to watch you uh, and you wrecked in hot laps or qualifying one or the other. Uh, and this guy turned around and said, that dude's, that dude's going to hurt somebody someday and was disgusting. Uh- and that, I would imagine. Go ahead. Oh, you're good. It, I mean, it, in the grand scheme of things, imagine, it's a nobody. But what I've I seen mean, from yeah. you the past three years, so I had that in the back of my head, and since then, I've never seen you get slower. Like that, and that's the big thing of why I wanted you on was to tell that story and say, like, I've seen more improvement from Zach Hampton than I have from about any other dude that's gotten in a 410 sprint car in the past three seasons? Yeah. So I would imagine that was probably my first, uh, yeah. day, first trip to it was, Knoxville. Yeah. And it was your first it trip. Was, it was your debut. I'll tell you who it is. After first, we get off the air, I'll tell you who it is. That that's, was my first wing 410 race ever. Yeah. Um, so, uh, which, and it, it wasn't hot laps. It wasn't qualifying. It was the C main, but yeah, it was like the first, we made it through one and two and then three and four, I entered behind somebody and I just, I didn't know what dirty air was. I didn't know that the nose, like the air was going to come off my nose and the car wouldn't turn. So it's like, you know, I messed up for sure, but I, a, I didn't know any better and B I didn't wreck anybody else. You know, like it was just, uh, I didn't know any better, um, at the time. And, um, you know, like, and you know, that's fine. Uh, you know, like I'm sure that they talked about it that whole week, you know, like I'd never ran a 410 and that's where I showed up and maybe that was stupid, but I've raced my whole life. Um, so it's not like it was a foreign 
concept to me, you know, like I, I ran on dirt, I ran micros, I ran midgets, you know, I ran a 305, you know, handful of times I'd ran some 360 stuff, you know, it was like, you weren't the guy that like showed up, you weren't the guy that showed yeah. the chili bowl with I didn't a just retire. Yeah. I didn't just retire from AT&T and buy a sprint car. Right. Like I just, <laughs> I've raced my whole life. It wasn't that foreign. Um, but that was still not probably the best place to, you know, 410 debut, but you know, it is what it is. And, um, you know, I, I think because I do stuff like that and I've just, you know, gone to the outlaw shows right off the bat and I've gone to all-star shows and I've gone to PA, uh, and raced against the posse, um, out there. Like, I think I've, I've maybe torn up more than I would have, if I just went and ran local in Ohio or MOA or fast, you know, like, but I've also learned, you know, and progressed way faster than I would have ever. Um, so, and I've, you know, Rex, you know, I wouldn't say any more or less than anyone else who's, you know, trying to get better in a wing 410. Um, and who is, you know, got speed, you know, I could go slow and never wreck, but there's no point in that I'm wasting my money, you know, like, so, um, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I've never wrecked, you know, like other people, like I've never gone into the corner and just been out of control and crashed people, you know, like have I had tangles with people? Sure. But you know, I've never just crashed guys. And that's where I don't understand why people give me so much shit. Like who cares if I crash on my own, you know, like, yeah, I, that doesn't affect anybody. If I'm going too fast for what I can handle, I stuff it in the fence. Like what, what's that matter? Um, you know, like that's really, that's, you ask most people who have been involved in this sport for a while. That's how you learn, you know, like you, you find the edge somewhere. Um, so I don't know, like, you know, I, I'm not mad that I went and did that. I obviously I sucked and that was, I destroyed that car that night, uh, that you're talking about, but, um, you know, it kind of, really shot me into getting another car or two and, and building my program up from there. So, uh, I'm glad I did it. No, and you're, you're absolutely right. And that's my bad. I did misremember that for sure. I've been hitting the head too much playing hockey my whole life. Uh, but the thing you said about like, you'd rather learn against the fast guys and, you know, you could go run MOA shows or do, whatever series and face the slow guys, but you're, you're doing everything that people I talk to and drivers I talk to at Knoxville, like, oh, I want to do this. I want I want to get out and, and race more with these guys and, and race this schedule. You're just jumping into it and doing that. And I, I get a lot of respect from that because like growing up, especially I'd play when I was 11, I was playing 12 and unders and 14 unders and 16 unders in hockey. And I learned more in the 16 and under games than I did in the 14 and under and the 12 and under. And it was a scale like that. And you're facing the best. You're going to learn a lot more than facing guys that are lower on the totem pole. Yeah, for sure. And I, and you know, not everyone, you know, like is fortunate enough, you know, or, or has the ability to go and travel and, and race against these guys and those guys. So, um, you know, like I definitely don't knock on anyone who doesn't, I'm not knocking on local racing by any means. And, you know, anything, but you know, like your, your local guys, you know, like, and I'm sure this, if anyone from Pennsylvania listens, we'll make them mad, but like your local no, guys. That's okay. No, I've where, got that. I've got that covered. I've got that covered. Yeah, yeah. I've got no all the Pennsylvania where, fans. No matter where you're at in the country, like it just, the, the local racing local every week doesn't compare to, um, running with the outlaws every night. And it's not, that the drivers aren't as good. It's more the grind, you know, like you don't race an hour from home. You race, you know, sometimes 12 hours from home. And then 
and then you have a five hour drive to the next race, but you gotta, you know, go to the car wash after the race on Friday. And like, that whole grind, you know, it's just, this is all a mental thing and, and people don't understand that uh, a lot of this is a mental game, especially now that all of us have, you know, most of us, you know, like I did the high limit race last night, you know, there's 51 cars, 40 of us at minimum have the same equipment, the level of equipment motors, you know, like nobody is, you know, they might have more of them, but nobody's outspending. Like our cars are all pretty equal and it comes down to, you know, driver crew chief and a lot of the, you know, just mental, like the mental games of it. So, um, you know, people don't understand that. And I just, uh, I don't know. I thought maybe, you know, if I get on a couple podcasts or whatever and talk about it, maybe some people just won't care. Right. They'll still get on Twitter and be assholes. But, um, you know, I, I figure some, it doesn't get talked about that much. So to give, uh, fans from the outside looking in some insight on what it's like to not, you know, like to be, you know, my level or, you know, even less, um, is what I was kind of aiming for. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's a big reason I wanted to have you on, uh, cause you obviously wanted to, you know, get on a platform and, and kind of talk about your stuff and you're, it's impressive in its own right, because you're one dude running his entire team. You're a team owner. You're the crew guy. You're everything. Like what, I guess like we've talked about the challenges and we know the challenges and stuff, but what's it like when you get that result uh, that was kind of in your goal uh, and you see yourself improving the way you've improved. And I do mean that like you, I, I really would say like over the last three years, anyone I've seen that has hopped into a 410 sprint car uh, in their level at the start to where you're at now, like you've made the most growth of anyone I've seen. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm really happy with the growth that I've, I've made not only as, you know, a driver, but my team, you know, like the, the race you're talking about in Knoxville, uh, I showed up on an open trailer, you know, I had one car, I had one motor, I had one of everything and that's it. Um, the following that winter, I bought, you know, like a, a 30 foot, uh, kind of, a, you know, extra height trailer, but I could only carry one car in the mule and a, one spare top wing. And, you know, like I had one motor still. Um, and you know, now I'm where, you know, I've got a toter home and I've got a 40 foot intact, you know, I can carry two cars, two complete cars. I've got three motors, you know, like, so I've, I've not only improved as a driver, you know, but like my entire team has grown and like, it's, you know, taken three, four years, but, uh, you know, it, uh, it takes time. So it feels really good. I mean, I hate that right now I am, uh, on my own without a crew guy or like a, at least one full-time crew guy. Um, it just, it's tough having different people come help every weekend, like, especially now, you know, which luckily I haven't wrecked anything this year, actually, other than last night, we had some motor problems. You know, we've had good finishes. I want to say like 15th and 9th at the two day IRA show. Uh, and then I went to Peavey with the outlaws and we were sixth quick third in our heat. And, uh, I think we ended up 15th, May uh, 16th. I think we ended up 16th. Um, and then we went to Jacksonville this past Friday, ran second to Ryan Thames. Um, and from fourth and then, uh, you know, uh, I ran the Highland Eight deal, but, uh, I've had different people helping me every night and it's like, I got to reteach these guys, you know, how I want things done or how we do things. And, you know, it's just, it's, um, that part of it's tough. So, um, I wish, I wish I had, uh, someone full time and it's not that I don't have the ability to hire someone. I just, right now it's pretty, uh, it's pretty tough to find anybody. There's so many teams right now and so many super teams, uh, and it's early in the year. So everyone's kind of got their, where they're at right now. So, um, 
but it, it does. It, I mean, it feels really good, you know, especially, you know, improving. And um, this is the first year I'm kind of like pretending to be my own crew chief for having to make the calls. So um, I'm, I'm pretty surprised with the speed I've had this year. And, and I'm definitely happy. Um, uh, and it's easy, you know, like Peevely, I was upset with the finish, but uh, you know, I was happy how I ran against those guys with nobody, but um, it's a struggle. And, and hopefully the year gets a little bit better. Um, I definitely like I, my, my end all, you know, goals. I want to drive for other people. However that happens, you know, um, even if I, you know, have bring my own motors to something or, you know, like my cars, they have motors or, you know, like team up with a team that's my level to kind of make something, you know, bigger. Um, that's, that's definitely my goal. And, you know, like I'd get in anything right now and drive someone else's car if there's an option, but, um, right now I'm just doing what I'm, what I have to do to, to get on the track. Remind me to bounce back to social media and stuff, but I'm curious on your, uh, like being your own crew chief, like how many, how many notes do you kind of keep from each track and how detailed are you with that? That, that stuff always fascinates me because I'll look at sheets of guys that have raced in Knoxville for 20 years and they, you know, they still don't know exactly what to do. So I definitely am probably wrong on this, you know, been, but everyone's different, like, and everyone's mind's different. I, I'm really good at just remembering things, you know, at least the things that mattered. Um, you know, we did this and it didn't work and we did that and it did work or whatever, but it's, we're not pavement racing to me, but I don't keep notes hardly at all. Like gear for sure. I write down gears, um, and stuff, but like, as far as did I move the, the right rear in a quarter inch or whatever, like. I'm sorry, but when I go back there a year from now, it's not going to matter what I did because we're not on pavement where the track is the same and you hit the exact mark every time. And like, you know, like the track completely changes, you know, from even from a Friday night to a Saturday night. Yeah. So like your yeah. notes the night before really, you know, like they don't matter. I think like, I think most of the good guys, like, yes, they keep their notes and they can go look at, you know, like they might look at them, but like, you, you know, your Phil Dietz, uh, uh, your Ricky Warner, like all these guys, like I, I know they look at their notes, but they have a baseline that they unload at, you know, like maybe they have a, a small track and a big track baseline. They have two, but that's how they unload. And they just do what the car is telling them that it wants it to do. You know, like that notebook doesn't help because that notebook from five years ago was a different track, a different motor, a different car, a, a, a different gear, a different, you know, like everything's different. And so like, I think guys, keep all those notebooks and they get racing on their notebooks and it hurts them more than it helps them because they're not listening to what the cars say, showing them or telling them to do, you know, they're going off notebook of stuff that's irrelevant, you know, and they just get themselves into a corner and they're doing stuff that, that doesn't help. And I'm probably wrong. There's a lot better people to ask. No, I, dude, I think you've, you've um, changed, you've changed my mind on kind of stuff like that because you're completely right. Like the cars have changed so much over the years. You look at historical pictures of cars and you're like, I can't believe they were racing those at fast speeds, you know? Uh, and like, I look at people that, uh, do track prep at tracks that don't have a notebook. And I'm like, what are you doing? But that, what you just said, like, might have changed my mind on that situation. Maybe not track prep guys, but as far as, like, driving goes, like, that completely makes sense. Yeah, and, you know, I think everyone's different. I just, I know I can't open a notebook at something I did a year ago and see what I, like, look at, read notes and look at what I did. And, okay, so, like, I did this and it didn't work. But now, 
for the rest of the night, when I go to make a, when I go to make a decision on my car, what, what I want to do, like, even if I try to push that out of my head, it's in my head and it's going to sway my decision on what I should do. And I, that's just me personally, how I am. Like, I can't, I can't unread that stuff. And then I know it's going to sway me one way or the other. And then I, I don't feel like I'm making a, a proper decision yeah. on, on tonight. So with uh, that, how, how have the new tires treated you? Yeah, I like them. They're definitely weird. And you know, like I would say, like, I'd never, I don't know anything different than the old ones. So, you know, uh, a lot of these other guys do, so they have more to compare it to. Um, but I like them. Um, I just think there's a learning curve with it. And, you know, these guys like, you know, Donnie, who have ran on a lot of t- different tires over the years, uh, it's probably going to be a bit easier for him to transition because he's done it before. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, we're going to have to figure out how to make them work as a driver. It's definitely a lot different pedaling the, you know, the car it takes a, I think it takes a lot more finesse, um, at least off the corner, whether it's slick or grippy. Um, and then I, I think there's something to be found setup wise to help with it, but they just, they grow so much more. So it really changes the attitude of the car, especially on the slick. Like when you get some, some tires spin and they grow it, like the car sits up so much higher on the track that it, it changes a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, the other thing, like a guy like you, especially with social media, and I can imagine like you're inactive on there free, at least frequently wise, um, cause you're busy and owning a team, but also how have you dealt in your career kind of with criticisms that have come from that, uh, especially from, you know, the faceless accounts, the, the people that don't want to put their face behind a comment and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I mean, every now and then I reply to people, you know, I'm just like, you know, why don't you come race or, you know, like, man, you, you know, whatever I say, you know, I'm sure sometimes I'm an asshole back. Um, I, I wish I was more, but like usually I just read stuff. And I'm like, man, you know, whatever. Uh, when it does that know, aspect uh, of it does stink. Cause you want to throw something back to them, uh, in like a, they're going to get ticked off and say that you offended them even though what they said is probably worse than what you said. And then B other people are going to look at you yelling at a guy and go, what, what sponsor would buy this? And that's never made sense to me. I've always been like, uh, let people say what they say, uh, to, you know, to a point, obviously, but yeah, I think it's, you know, I definitely look at it. Some like there's times I want to say something, you know, and I'm just like, you know, I don't, I don't have either. I don't have anything to say. don't care to say anything, but, you know, there's times I want to say something and then, you know, like it's, I definitely have to look back or like, you know, take a step back and go, well, you know, like, how's that look, you know, for me, you know, or, or how's someone else going to see that? But, you know, really, I just, I don't really get on social media that much. Uh, I just, you know, like I, I don't, or I would say I'm like, uh, what do they call them? A lurker, I guess, you yeah, know, like I'll yeah. get on Twitter and read stuff, but like, and I try to post like, Oh, I'm going racing here this weekend or whatever, because I, I think there's a lot to that. And, especially for getting sponsors, like having that engagement on your profiles is big, but I just like, I've never really cared, uh, to like post on social media, you know, for anything. So, um, I just, that, that's where my inactive is. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I usually just don't want to give someone the satisfaction of a reply, you know, to them, you know, saying whatever, um, because you know, it's only going to fuel it, you know, they're only going to do it more and more. 
once I do. Uh, so I usually just ignore them and, you know, I don't even block people because I just feel like, you know, yeah. who cares, you know, like I, usually, I almost feel like that gives, that gives like a hater, the, the satisfaction, like they blocked me. So I'll always just mute people. I never block anybody. Yeah. I don't even mute because I just, I don't have my notifications on even, you know? So like, uh, like I, I, I can open it and go to my whatever notifications tab and you know, like I can read it there. Or I don't, but it's not like it's like bothering me because it's my phone's buzzing off the hook. You know, if I don't get on Twitter for three days, I don't get on Twitter for three days. I don't see anything about it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I try to just not, you know, really reply, but every now and then someone will say something that's, I feel like I have a pretty good reply to or a funny reply or, you know, just like kind of like whatever. Um, That's the thing. If you can make everyone else laugh. If you can make everyone laugh at the reply. Yeah, yeah. And and even if I can make them laugh or, you know, like it's not that I care to offend anybody because I certainly don't. And I hate that, you know, everybody's offended culture, but it's not worth it for me to to even risk it, Um, you know, from a, you know, like, not just getting sponsors standpoint, but from car owners, you know, other car owners, which, um, you know, like is, is what I ultimately want to do is, uh, you know, race for somebody else or, you know, other multiple other people's, you know, or whatever, um, you know, and, and make it a career. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I have to be careful with it. I per se, I don't think I have to, but, um, I think I'm better off for it. So you haven't popped up on my timeline with a bad tweet for two years. So I think you're good. Yeah. I'm sure if you go back five or six, you'll see some really ignorant <laughs> stuff when I was like, Same with me. not really, not really racing 18 years old, you know, just being a dipshit. But, um, yeah, I mean, since I've started racing again, you know, like in 2019, I've, I've been pretty tame. I think from what I can remember, maybe a couple bad ones. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I did want to ask you from an outside driver's perspective, uh, just the whole off season was dominated by the like everlasting, but never really developing story with the outlaws versus high limit tour. And I wanted to ask your opinion on the outlaws, not running every high limit race, only being allowed to run four races that weren't included on your pass or whatever you would call it a waiver um or allotment i suppose would be a better word and i before i get your answer i wanted to ask you because at first i was kind of team let them run whatever race like the late models do and seeing what high limit has been so far i feel like that 12 race series or 11 race series would be sort of a sprint car all-star series and the world of outlaws would matter less than high limit. And I can see why they would limit drivers. But I was curious I don't your thoughts has, and feel free to disagree. I don't think it has anything to do with um, the success that high limit would or wouldn't have, right? Obviously yeah, Brad yeah. needs a four-time outlaw champion. They, I, you know, like, do they want Brad to leave the outlaw tour? No, because he brings fans in, but like, so does everybody else, right? So. Uh, I think at the end of the day, most of the outlaws would want nothing but success for Brad and even for Kyle. But right. And I don't think day, anyone's cheering it. against anybody. Uh, like the conclusion I came from, from that was just from watching the last two races in who has shown up. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, like my, my perspective on it, if I was world racing group or, you know, the world of outlaws um, and 
you know, my drivers were, oh, we want to run, you know, these races and those races. Like the way it was before, you know, there were stipulations on, you know, you couldn't race this many hours in advance or sort of like the ones now. Um, and I don't remember exactly what they were, but if, you know, like we didn't race so many hours in advance and so many miles away, uh, and we race at that track already, it's on our schedule. You can go to it and, and like get permission. So before, you know, the rules were like, they might get to run five, six, seven, eight, you know, they could run 10 extra races that year. If, if that's right. how it played out, if yeah. rain outs worked that way and all that. So if, if I'm the outlaws and my guys come to me, Oh, we want to be able to do whatever, what, you know, like all this. And they're complaining about it. Uh, you know, I just allow them zero, right. Because it's it, to me, it's like, uh, the outlaws are, you don't have to sign with them. Right. Like feel, I know, fielder keeps trying to remind everybody on it yeah, on yeah. dirt tracker like there's nothing's forcing you to sign with them right so uh you could run the entire outlaw tour and still go run 30 races a year you're just not going to get free pit passes and tow money and uh like all the other advantages and perks i don't know all of them i know you know there's right. tow money there's there's uh pit pass cards i think it's like four um you know it's like some of that stuff so you're more than welcome to run every single world of outlaw race throughout the year and go run 30 other races. Just you don't get free pit passes and all this stuff. So, and on the other side, you don't get the advantages of the outlaws promoting you, right? Like the outlaws are promoting their drivers at the same time. Yeah. So there, I mean, you sit down and watch a world of, you watch, you watch a world of outlaws broadcast and Zach Hampton is starting fourth. Uh, but Carson Macedo, David gravel and Brad sweet all have their little highlight tape video promotion things uh along with their name yeah which is you know like i i don't i i'm totally okay with that because they're full-time outlaws they get yeah hurt. no and i, wa I wasn't so trying like, to say trying to say yeah. that it's just like oh you have a face to the name with the full-time outlaws and everyone else is kind of just out on the other side because they're not full-time and they didn't do the media day and if it were up to me i'd I'd probably put as many drivers on there as I could and, and do a couple of those per year and have all of them just to improve the broadcast. But I mean, that that's like a down the road step for when this stuff is on more of a mainstream platform. Not that Dirt Vision isn't working or the model doesn't work. I think it's gonna continue to grow and you gotta adapt to how it changes and stuff like that. But it is, there's a lot of perks to being a full-time outlaw. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, like they should be allowed zero. I think, you know, not, not because I don't want to have to race with them when I'm not at an outlaw show, but because like it, it's your decision and you're getting all these other benefits. So, you know, like, but I will say on the other hand, I, I do see that the outlaws purse needs a race, right? Like, I mean, it's been 25 or more years, you know, and they've been on this purse. So, but I, I'm not doing the book. So, you know, I don't know what they can and can't do. I would assume that they can, uh, because back then they didn't have dirt vision money, you know, like now they have dirt vision, um, and all of that. So I would think that, that, that it could be raised the purse, but I'm not involved with that side of it. So, uh, you know, I, I really, I can't say if that's well, even, and there's a ton know, of animosity. Possible. There's a ton of animosity, uh, and anonymity. I can't pronounce words tonight, <laughs> but between like, Dirt Vision has not shown anyone their numbers. 
in the world of allies have yeah. not shown any teams their division numbers and what that brings to whatever racetrack whatever team and people got to understand there's a lot of slices of pie to be cut but there's a there's still a lot of stones that have not been unturned uh for good or bad reasons and i think there's a ton that we don't know um and i every like every time i talk about this i get more and more off of the let drivers run where they please thing and i hope people listening to this are kind of like between your answers and mine like figuring out like there's a lot of layers to this onion that and some that haven't been cut even yeah and you know like people are like oh let them run where they want well like dude nobody's stopping them right like yeah they chose they are running where they want they chose to run with the world of outlaws full-time so like they've already chosen where they want to run by by signing that contract and i don't think people just people just don't understand that right like look at buddy and rico who have ran i i want to say all if not all but one of the yeah, outlaws yeah you're year. right yeah and they're not full-time outlaws right so like they didn't sign a contract and you're more than welcome that you're more than welcome to not sign that contract and race with them as much as you want so the whole oh let let us run where we want to run like you can't have your cake and eat it too you don't get all the benefits of being an outlaw and then and then get to go run other way other places like the reason the outlaws pay better and give you all these perks is because you're their elephants and monk my bad you're their oh, elephants. You're, you're their monkeys like like this is you know it's, it's a circus literally like i mean it's that's pretty much the model it's a circus and you're their act so why would they let you go perform for another circus you know it would be that's, that's a horrible business model if they would let you do that then people don't have to pay the premium of coming to an outlaw event or watching it on dirt vision anymore, because they could just go to wherever you're going to be at where it's cheaper, you know, and go and, and get merchandise there and shit. So, and on the other hand, like, you know, they stop, if you're not a full-time outlaw member, team owner, or whatever, you don't get to have your, your t-shirt trailer on t-shirt alley at an outlaw show. That's why you see shop Rico on like Jason sides car, because he became a partial team owner. So that his t-shirt trailers could be at outlaw races, you know? So like that's, you know, like you, you get so many advantages and, you know, they don't talk about all those. And there's a lot more like, you know, that I don't know completely about, but I somewhat know about them and I'm not going to discuss them because, you know, it doesn't need to be, um, or I'm not the one to do it because I'm not an outlaw, but, um, you know, people don't understand all the benefits that they are getting and they have chosen where to race and when they want to race there because they signed that contract and nobody forced them to. So yeah, that's I mean, my take on it you're completely right and i mean you look at all that stuff going um like all the things you mentioned um i learned about in this sport through people bitching about it through facebook comments that they get this and all these outlaw teams get this and that and no one really realizes that they give them like the world of allies give their drivers all these uh perks to race with the series and be a part of the top sprint car series in the country. And yeah, they're, they're feeding off each other and people yeah. don't realize that they both need each other. And there's a give and take on both sides, you know, and like it, it it's the story, you know, the stories as old as time is each side's trying to get as much as they can get out of the other side before they finally, you know, give them the bird and, and bail, you know, like that's just how, how it works. But uh, you know, neither side of them is, I would say getting screwed right now, you know, yeah. someone's always getting a better 
part of a deal, but. And you mentioned the outlast purse and it, it needing a bump. Uh, my, so my theory, um, and I'm a guy who I want to see the best 25 sprint car drivers in the country race all year long, 87 times a year, if that's the number, or if it's, if that number with so many drivers shrinks to 60 or something like that, I'd love to take that and have a big race schedule and, and turn the world of outlaws into an even bigger show. Uh, my theory is that starts with investing in 12th on back in points and feeding that side of the uh, purse bubble, I suppose, if you call it that, um, through the next few years. I don't know. What do you think about that? that? It's a theory I had. It's so, pretty loose. No, you're, you're right. And there's a reason, like, it, a big part of why everyone's going to the high limit races right now is that it pays it's the start money right right like and and don't, as a as a okay as a driver i say at that you know like you either win or you you didn't right like your first or your last right like we want the you know like as a driver you're going you you want to win right. so you just want all the money weighted there yeah but as like you know a team owner and just i know what other guys are thinking guys who aren't you know outlaws or have you know, team levels, team at like kind of my level or even less is, you know, like they are chasing the worst case scenario. So they're, they're more worried about the start money or, you know, like the tow money or whatever, you know, like I think it's horrible to race off tow money. Um, so I don't know. I think, uh, whether this, I don't know, it's probably the wrong way to, to word it, but the seating, the back part of it and, uh, like making, all of that paid better to me is a very everybody gets a trophy and liberal way of looking at it which i don't like but also like when you want a bigger car count you pay you you have to bump up the start money because there are a lot of people who consider that uh when they consider where they're gonna go race yeah absolutely um i do want to contest you on the car count thing because so I, I got introduced to this sport. I grew up a NASCAR fan, watched Dan Weldon IndyCar and discovered IndyCar through like Sports Illustrated magazines and watched monster trucks, watched everything that Speed Channel had to offer uh, back in the day. Uh, and the weirdest thing uh, to this day that I've ever heard um, is late model fans obsessing over how many late models are at a certain race. Because I look back at them and I'm like, okay, is Jonathan Davenport there? Is Brandon Overton there? Is Bobby Pierce there? Because you can you can fill sixty late models in a night at a certain track, and they can all be crap. So like I've, what I'm trying to say is I've never understood uh, the car count uh, type of argument to it. I like one of my best friends. His uncle will only come to races with car counts of fifty or bigger. Basically, if it's less than fifty, the show ain't worth going. And I've never bought into that. Yeah, no, I don't think, I, I don't even necessarily mean it from the race fans perspective. I guess mm -hmm. I mean it from, if you're a promoter looking to get the car count up. That is fair. You know, that, yeah. I'm not, I'm not looking at it from a race fans perspective. I'm looking, I guess I, cause not that I'm I not think, no, fan. I think I brought an unfair argument to you cause we're looking at like, two different yeah. audiences. Yeah. I think we're both looking at, you know, the opposite side of it, you know, as a fan. Yeah. I don't know that that argument definitely wouldn't, who cares how many are there, you know, I'm, you know, some people are a quantity over quality person and that's fine. I'm not, I'm, a, I'm definitely a quality over quantity. Um, but, uh, you know, as a promoter, 
or, you know, as a driver, you know, whatever, I, I think you, you do look at the car counts, you know, like those times I've gone to a race thinking there's going to be 30 cars there ends up being 50. And I'm like, man, I wish I would have gone somewhere else. You know, now I got to work so much harder uh, <laughs> tonight, you know? So um, yeah, that's, you know, that's a, the first thing is weird. You know, like I don't, I, I don't have the answer to what the perfect thing is. You know, I think the, the outlaw perch is divided well between start to pet, like to win and like, it has a good progression and all of that I think is good. I just think it needs a, a 25 or a 30 or 40 or 50%, whatever increase or whatever that number is that, that gets everybody happy again about it or, or gets everybody, you know, I guess whatever they say, the best deals are when both sides feel like they get, they got, you know, the best end of it or got screwed, you know, like both sides feel the same. So uh, whatever that number would be, I think is what it is, but, you know, I do think it needs something because there's a lot more money in the sport right now. And, you know, everyone, even though Tim teams are getting more money, um, so are the outlaws and, uh, all of that. So there needs to be, I don't know. I, I think there needs to be a, a pay, like a purse increase, but you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know all the stuff that the, the full-time guys are getting there. So, right. um, you know, that's tough. And, you know, the Larson deal is, Larson and, you know, the high limit deals paying really well right now, but it's also because they have 11 races, right. And it's promoted better or not better, but like it's easier to promote 11 races and get everyone excited for 11 than it is for 80. Right. Like, Oh, we've seen this song and dance, you know, 80 times a year, but this one, we only get to watch 11. So, and I think flow's doing a really good job of trying to give back to the racing world. You know, the, the million race, um, you know, doing this, this deal with Flo's, with Kyle Flo's growth Brad. with that Flo's growth with that in the past two years has been astronomical to dirt race. Yeah, you know, I, do I think they're still you know making a, a a bunch of money for sure? But I think they've done a really good job and are at least trying to give us some back at at some level. Um, and you know that's cool to see and whatnot. Not that Dirt Vision does or doesn't. I just I don't if it you know like if they are it's not as public, which is okay. I just um, you know it. it I think that's what people see or don't see, you know, and they're like, you know, like they get mad about, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's all of that is, you know, I don't, nobody's honest with the books or, you know, the numbers and all that. So it's kind of hard to say what they should or shouldn't do because right. I don't know, but, um, I, I do think, think it would take people in. being honest with their whole books. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the answer is there for sure, but I think a, a pay increase like with, with the outlaws wouldn't be horrible. Um, uh, but I, I don't know, uh, what they can and can't do or should do, or, you know, obviously we all still show up racing, you know, that's why midgets still run for 3000 win because they can bitch about it all day long, but then they load up their cars and they go to the racetrack and they unload and they race. So why would they pay us more? You know, they don't have to because all yeah. we're going to do is bitch and then show up the next night. So, until like the teams actually do something about it, you know, and just straight up don't go, you know, why would they change? No, I agree. We had the same conversation on Sunday talking about super speedway racing in NASCAR. I just said, I've never seen someone sit out at a super speedway race because they thought it was too dangerous. Yeah. So, and I mean, that's, and you know, there's different sides of the argument to it. I get it. Um, and I, if anyone gives you backlash for your answers on here, let me know because you've been a fantastic uh, interview and I want to dunk on them myself. Yeah. Uh, no, I won't. Uh, I don't care what ha anyone has to say. Obviously it's my opinion and they have theirs. So, um, I love it. 
you know, that's how it is. Uh, I don't know. Everyone's entitled to their own. I don't really, whether I think someone's opinion's wrong or right, you know, like they can have yeah. theirs, you know, and I can have mine. And I'm usually pretty good at listening to someone else's and going, you know, I don't agree, but I understand why you feel that way. You know, most people don't yeah. are incapable of that, but, uh, that's where I, that's where I am with it. So. I got, I got two more for you and then I'll let you off the hook. Uh, but All right. you're talking about, you wanted full-time help. Uh, you don't have to give a number or anything, uh, but I want give your background, like what you grew up racing in and stuff like that. And what you're kind of looking for in a full-time guy. Yeah. So, uh, as far as my background, so when I was like four, four and a half, um, uh, my dad had kind of found out what quarter midgets were, I guess. And my sister would have been like six. Um, and you had to be five to race them. So, uh, we got like two quarter midgets and I was able to practice at tracks like during the week and whatnot, but I couldn't, you know, like not race. And my sister started racing. And then when I was five, I started racing as well. Um, and then around, I don't know, probably I guess I was five. So probably like three, four years later, my sister, uh, quit um, and wanted to do girl things. So, um, it was just me racing and we started traveling a lot. We did a, a ton of, of national stuff like grants and all that. If, if anyone knows what quarter midgets are, um, you know, we did a lot of traveling and then I want to say I was like 10, 11, um, moved up to a micro ran like restrictor for half a year. And then the following year I was 12. So we ran, uh, you know, multi, um, and we ran with like power eye series mostly. And we did a, a fair bit of traveling with that too. And then, uh, when I was 14, um, actually I would have been still 13, about to turn 14. Um, me and Chris Bell drove to Missouri and bought my first midget, um, on a whim. Uh, and then he drove it into coin that year. Um, and then I was 14 that year. So I started running some midget stuff with power eye and still ran the micro. And then, um, when I was 16, 17, so this would have been like 2015-ish or thereabouts, um, my dad sold all our midget stuff, like all of our race stuff. Um, we had, It was like we had done it for 12 years, traveled everywhere, you know, and he was just kind of tired of, of the grind of it. So he sold our stuff. I drove a 305. I took it like a year off where I just didn't have anything to race, and then I drove a 305 uh, the following year like three times, four times, um, and then – that was like 2017 and then 2018 I ran like a couple midget races for Kenny Irwin. And then I drove a 360 like five or six times for a guy named James page. Um, and then I bought, uh, my first sprint car that year, just a roller, no motor or anything. Um, and then I bought a four, a dash 12 that, that winter going into 2019. Uh, I put a wing on it, went to Attica, blew it up in hot laps. Um, and then like six, seven, eight weeks later, I bought an all pro and, and, uh, I bought an all pro on Sunday, Monday, I was still working full time. So I went to work and then I came home, put the, put the motor in the car, loaded up on an open trailer and went to Knoxville. And that's when you would have seen me there. And, uh, I want to say 2019 and I ran five races that year. And then, um, you know, I kind of came on, I would say the scene, most people probably would have at least seen me and whether they noticed or not on dirt vision or flow sometime in 2020. And then a couple of weeks ago, you were top five in qualifying at Peebley. Six, technically, yeah, but. All right, yeah, that counts, that, my five. bad. It's I've been screwing up many facts. Yeah. No, that's all right. I just, you know, like technically not top five. Still really good qualifying effort. Um, you know, and then last year, we did, I had a quick time with them there at Peebley. Um, 
So uh, I really like that track and whatnot. Um, and then as far as like a full-time guy, you know, like right now, last year I had a full-time guy who's crew chief and kind of just in charge of everything. Um, helped me get organized. I had Rob Hart and uh, he was, you know, incredible for my program. Um, but right now I would say like what I'm looking for in a guy, you know, like honestly looking for somebody who's got experience, at least some, you know, like has, a, has, has gone racing and understands like, you know, when the car comes in, we do this and, you know, like these, these things need to get done this way. And there's a, you know, like a level of, you know, uh, understanding. Yeah. Like, and, uh, like quality, you know, like we, mm-hmm. we do that. There's a certain standard, you know, yeah. to, to, that we do things. And, um, uh, obviously someone that's, you know, able to travel and, you know, be in a shop. I mean, obviously and sprint car racing times are pretty flexible and you're on a whim all the time, but, um, you know, somebody that kind of knows how everything's done and can just help, you know, tire works, you know, like our tire work, uh, you know, help me move the right rear end or move the right rear out or, you know, just the little things that, you know, like, uh, I don't have time to do, or like, I'm I'm trying to watch the track or whatever, you know, and they can help do the little things, uh, that I would not necessarily think about or wouldn't have time to do. Awesome. And then the last one I had for you, uh, bearing a statue of limitations or anything like that what's the craziest racing story you have behind the scenes on the scene on the track anything um craziest racing story it's pretty broad i know uh as far as like (laughs) crazy and uh you know like looking back at it now because at the time you know like I would say going to buy that, that midget with bell was, uh, probably like the, one of the biggest or coolest, you know, obviously I'm, I'm still good buddies with bell, you know, like when he was running a midget for Melmark back in the day and, uh, was, you know, almost a nobody, you know, before his Keith Coons days, all that, like, uh, you know, he slept in our basement when they were here racing around here, uh, on a cot. So, uh, I grew up with Chris a lot and we still talk a lot, but, um, it was PRI, uh, the last night, Saturday at PRI and, um, we went my dad uh and then billy lawhead who is like ryan runs ryan tim's team um and scott sawyer sawyer micros um and then bell and i went to hooters after pri bell was i want to say 17 at the time i was 13 or 14. we couldn't sit in the bar because in indiana you can't even sit in the bar so we sat like at the bar kind of like uh at the side of the railing so they were on yeah they were on one side and then me and bell were on the other side because we weren't old enough and we're trying to, we're all trying to talk my dad into buying a midget. And then me and Bell are on Indiana open wheel and we find one and call the guy. It's like nine o'clock at nine or 10 at night. And we called the guy and you know, he had it, whatever. So we, we came up with a price and, uh, we drove back home and, uh, me and Bell hooked up our truck and trailer. And my dad gave us, you know, however much it costs. I don't remember 14, 15 grand, uh, gave us, you know, that in cash. We, put it in a garbage bag and put it under the, un- under the back seat. And me and Bell drove all night till we drove like 11 or 12 hours and bought a midget. And the following weekend we, we ran it, he ran it at the coin cause I wasn't old enough. Um, so, and now, you know, at the time it was, it was still cool at the time, but now it's like, you know, with Bell being who he is and you know, where I'm at, it's like, it's just, you know, it's, it's cool to, you know, that, that, that happened, you know, and now yeah. everything is where it's at. So. That's awesome. That's, sheesh we've 
we just uh, recorded with Joey Gaze. If you're listening, he'll be on on Sunday night. Uh, two really good interviews. Uh, appreciate you taking the time. I, are you offended that people call him Christopher in the Cup Series? Oh, no. I mean, I don't I, – I think he's kind of always been, I guess, Christopher. I have – not to me, but like – it's, it's a weird dynamic because uh, they were doing that thing with uh, Chris Busher last year, and his mom had done some segment, and she's like, "Well, I always called him Christopher." Uh, and one of the announcers had made a mistake and called him Christopher Busher, so he changed his name. Yeah. So he, there's a whole branding dialogue to it that doesn't matter whatsoever, but it was funny to see. Yeah, no, I think he's always been Christopher, like, I guess, everywhere else. Like, I know his shirts has always been that. He's always you're been the, you're the that. first like, guy I've ever heard refer to him as Chris, which shows me, like, you guys are really good friends. Yeah, I don't know. I guess that's what I've always called. I guess, really, I call him Seabell, but, like, that's more of a... I don't, I don't think he's really... Nobody really calls him that anymore, so people would have... That would have probably fallen on uh, deaf ears, but, like, back in the day or whatever, like, Micro's Midgets and all that, he was Seabell, so... Um, I guess if I call him or whatever, I usually call him that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's just, I'm just used to, that's what I called him when I was 12 or whatever, you know, and still call him when I talk to him. So uh, maybe I'm the weird one. I don't know. <laughs> that's awesome. Hope you all enjoy your racing weekend. Thanks a ton for listening. Uh, and shout out to our presenting sponsor, uh, Carl Auto Group. Appreciate those guys. Enjoy your race weekend, everybody.